Well, uh, it's a new day, new era of technology, guys. Uh, we're going to test something. Uh, I got a new clicker. Look at this. I'm super excited Grant gave me the note. So we'll see if it works, if you can actually go forward when you hit the forward button. But we're going to say I'm going to keep you in suspense for another minute before I, I want to tell you a couple of stories first. First, a kind of a fun story. Here's my God story in 15 seconds or less from this morning. I was feeling a little discouraged about something. I felt like I was supposed to go out for a walk with my dog. Then it started raining on me. <laughs> but I was perfectly trying to enjoy it. And then I noticed there was sun shining in, in, uh, toward the east. So I felt like the Holy Spirit said, look west. And I looked west, and guess what I saw? Yeah, a rainbow. And as you know, our story, my story, I love rainbows. And I can go on and on. Maybe we'll get into that later. But it's just a really cool uh, God moment where the Holy Spirit, and I felt like um, what the Lord said to me in that moment is, my, that was for you, son. And I loved it. And it was gone in like, Two minutes later, I tried to go back outside. So it was those brief little moments, fun times with God um, that I wanted to share about. Also, another little announcement that was, didn't make the official. This is going to become, we'll let you know more about that. One of the decisions we made is that we're going to be going uh, every week starting in the new year. So we're gonna, that last service will be a little different. Uh, it'll be more prayer worship oriented. We'll do some different things. This, it'll stay simple. It'll be a simple service, but it'll be a family simple service. We'll let, letting you know, but I'm excited about that opportunity to go every week together and uh, connect, be in person, be in God's presence. So that's, that's coming. So anyway, uh, in case you missed it, in case you missed uh, all the commercials, all of the billboards, all the emails, and the Twitter posts, and the lawn signs, you know what Tuesday is. Tuesday's election day, so get ready. Uh, just to let you know, uh, you know, I think, I think I can start my own paper company with the number of flyers I've gotten in the mail telling me about how bad either Dr. Oz or John Fetterman is. So if I kind of mixed that up and made my own pulp, I think I could sell a few reams of paper. But I don't know about you, but it's been a little bit much. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine last weekend, and he was like, man, I get so stressed out during election time. It's just freaking me out. I was like, it's all that inundated. And yeah, it's, it can be a little bit stressful for people. I know some people handle it differently. You know, I, I think, though, for me, and I think for many of us, too, and many people I've spoken to, it gets worse, or it's, it's even worse, when, those, um, when the atmosphere or the tensions about over election season or something else start to impact your personal relationships. I don't know if you've ever been, I mean, you maybe seen some email or some like Facebook rants or wherever it might be, but it can get pretty intense. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in an environment where people are arguing and yelling about it, but it, is, it can be pretty bad. And um, I was part of a gym during the last election cycle at my gym. There are a couple people, I think there's a group, but there's at least two that I know for sure who are really going at each other. And I think it was more than that. There's multiple, but they basically canceled each other, if you know what I mean. Never spoke to each other again, never came back to the gym it was because uh, of these kind of uh, issues that were coming up during the election. It was tough. I mean, it's, it's an, when you say cancel, basically it's another word for broken relationship. That's, that's what canceling is, and it's a big part of uh, our culture today. Um, but really, it's not a limited to election time, is it? Uh, the broken relationship and canceling of one another and just dismissal of, of people in our personal relationships with each other is something that we've all had to deal with to one degree or another. You know, I know there's, there's people I've talked to, not only in our church, but friends and family members who I care about who are feeling dismissed by their own family. They're feeling uh, pushed aside 
by, by their friends, like they, they, what they believe is not, uh, not valid, and so the, the way that was handled is we're not going to relate to you anymore, we're no longer going to be friends with you. I mean, this is kind of what many people are dealing with today, and it's heartbreaking. Um, sometimes these situations blow up in an emo- there's these emotional blow-ups. Usually what happens is there's an emotional blow-up, pain and tension, and the relationships and tatters, or there's a withdrawal. And so someone just completely cuts off the relationship, doesn't want to deal with it, and so cuts the person off. And these are two classic ways that people hurt one another. And we talk about this in marriage counseling, but it's basically attack or withdrawal. And generally, you fall into one or two categories. We can all do, the, do both. But typically, like in a marriage, we'll talk about that next week, which I'm excited about. But in a marriage or any friendship, there's usually an attack, usually a verbal attack of some sort, and you're just an attacking kind of... Or you can remove yourself completely, ghost them, distance yourself, and both are equally valid ways of hurting people. And th- this is what happens, and these are the kind of things that hurt and damage relationships, is that cycle of attack and withdrawal, and so often in a, in a relationship, one person does the other, is the opposite. And so it doesn't work out too, too well. And so what we're doing, so we're going through a uh, sermon series. Let's see if it works. Uh-oh, I didn't turn it on. So we're, the tension's building. Now it's on. Ready? Watch this, everybody. Yes! It worked. Genius, genius. Uh, yeah, apparently I can, this one's so advanced I can like move the mouse around, so there's like two mirrors, so if you see something moving around, it's because I got some extra power in my hand here. But anyway, uh, we're dealing with restoring our relationships, and that's, that's kind of the, the focus. And really, the bottom line of restoring our relationships is that, that Jesus has an answer for relationships. That's if we do it Jesus' way, if we invite Jesus into the relationship, and, of course, it takes two people, right? If you're in a relationship with one or two, multiple, the more people who are inviting Jesus into the relationship, the better the relationship's going to be. So if we submit them to him, instead of doing things our own way, then we can see God's grace and, and see the restoration that God wants us each to have. We can see his love. We can see the unity that he wants. And maybe you're in the middle of a relationship that's really hard for you right now. I know I, I have talked to some of you, and I realize how difficult it really is. Um, if you're not in the midst of the fight now, there's probably something that happened recently that's still causing you pain in your heart. And my compassion goes out to you and I understand where you've been. Here's the, here's the idea, guys, is that if we want to have a loving relationship, if we want to have unity with people, no matter who that person is, it might be a friend, it might be a family member, it might be a coworker, someone else who's part of even our church family, there's one essential ingredient that makes all the difference, that helps us step into a loving relationship, that helps us step into uh, unity with that person. And that ingredient is so essential, it is non-negotiable. It's like trying to make a cheesesteak without the beef, or it's like trying to make an omelet without the egg. You get my point. It's just impossible to maintain a healthy, loving, unified relationship without this one thing that we're going to talk about today. But first, uh, let's, let's pray and invite God to help us listen to what he wants to say. So thank you for your presence, Lord, that we sang about and we do. We love your presence. We love what you do, Jesus. We love what you, how you are perfect in every relationship. The way you handled every single relationship that came your way, you were absolutely perfect. And God, we worship you and we, we lift you high today. And we, we say, please help us, God. Give us grace to do relationships your way, not our own way. I pray that you, there would be something in your word today that would stick into our hearts and bring transformation into our relationships. 
And we ask God, and I ask that if anyone is here in pain because of a relationship, either past or present, that you would bring, like, your, like, a, like a healing bomb, you would bring your peace into that place and you would give us wisdom for how we can um, do things your way. So, like Jesus taught us to pray, Father, your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, cool. So we're going to be in the book of Philippians. is uh, really one of my favorite books. It's written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, and he's, it's written to a group of believers, a church that he helped establish, a, a church community. He was a church planter uh, that was set among a group of retired Roman soldiers, primarily, and their families. And so the, being in Rome at the time, and Rome was, was a lot worse than, if you think things are bad, you know, when you see all the postcards and the emails and the commercials now, in the Roman Empire, it was a lot worse, it was a lot more tense, and actions that you take could lead to your death. So there's this group of Christians that are living under uh, a fairly intense level of persecution. They're bound together uh, as a community. And so Paul understood the pressure, the political pressure, the, those outside pressures that then put pressures on the internal relationships. And so he's speaking into this context and helping giving them some encouragement and uh, helping them see how God's at work uh, and how unity with Jesus is possible by the power of the Spirit. So we're going to pick up here in chapter 2 where he's writing to them uh, after he talked a little bit about their relationship with Jesus. So let me read that uh, for us. Paul says, Therefore, uh, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, which is what he was talking about, first, you know, the unity with God through Jesus was the priority, and then how that translated into your relationship. If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Okay, so one of the clear patterns we see out throughout Scripture, uh, this meta-narrative, is that we become like what we worship. Okay, we become like what we worship. And so Paul's plea to the church is, he's saying, listen, if you have a close relationship with Jesus, if you worship Jesus, then the way Jesus is, is going to impact your personal relationships. The way Jesus relates to us is the way that we're going to relate to one another. And it should translate into loving unity in the church. And so for Jesus himself, loving unity was a top priority. It was one of his last prayers that he prayed in the upper room right before he was crucified and went to the crucifixion. He said, Father, may you be one as we are one. And unity, loving unity... Uh, within a family, is who God is. So God is a holy trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so God, him, the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is a, is a Trinitarian community that is full of love. It is a loving family. And so relationships that flow out of a relationship with God himself will reflect the relationship that the Trinity has with one another, the God, Father, and Holy Spirit, and how they lovingly submit to one another and care for one another. We are and we become like who we worship. And so Paul then digs right into the meat of what that relational unity is going to look like in verses 3 and 4, and he says this to continue, continue on. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Okay, and then he gives the, the main ingredient here. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Our unity depends wholly on our humility. 
See, humility is the one essential ingredient that needs to be part of any baking or cooking exercise of any relationships we're trying to build. Humility produces loving relationships and unity. It's quite simple, but it's not easy. And it's easier uh, well done than well said. And God's calling him, uh, God's calling the church, through what Paul is writing, to this loving kind of unity that's built on the foundation of humility. Now, of course, what's the opposite of humility is pride. The problem is, it's not so easy because there's so much pride that it gets in the way. And that's what selfish ambition and vain conceit are. They're just forms of pride. Uh, and pride will destroy. So pride, vain conceit, all of these things, they're relationship killers, where humility is relationship restorer and healer. So here's the, here's, here's the bottom line. If you, if you want to have bad relationship with someone, if you want to have a bad relationship, just make the fulfillment of your own interests your primary objective. If you want to have a bad relationship, then make sure to get your way and win every argument that you have with another person. If you want to have a bad relationship, if your interests are not being fulfilled, then why not just cut off the relationship and go look for a new one? Don't make any effort because it's not worthwhile. If you want to have a bad relationship, don't waste your time listening because your opinion is the only one that counts. If you want to have a bad relationship, you can assume that you're the only one who knows what's best for the relationship and for the situation at hand. Or, again, you can just shut them out. And make sure, don't ever forgive anyone unless they forgive you first and they come groveling at your feet because they don't deserve it. Uh, they don't deserve your, your forgiveness and certainly because they've hurt you. Now, sadly, does that sound familiar? This is something that happens all the time. And guess what? Social media certainly has given people more freedom to act this way because they feel the, there's less social consequences, at least on the surface. You know, I, I remember there's a situation in high school that kind of illustrates this perfectly. I was supposed to be having a good time down the shore playing tennis with a friend. So we were playing tennis, and, I, well, I kept winning, so, but I wasn't being a jerk about it, but I was winning. I mean, he would win some games, I would win, but my friend, he just got so mad at me. Like, I won after one game, he got so mad, he took the tennis ball, and he just wailed it. He whacked it as hard as he could over the fence into the hotel that was right next by. It was like, it, uh, you had to climb like three different fences. I mean, we'd already climbed over this fence. It didn't dare to get this one, because the gate, well, we didn't have the key. It was supposedly for the hotel. But no, and we weren't taking it away from it. But anyway, I, and I, I looked at the ball, I was like, what? And he sat down, he got really mad, and he just sat down in the middle of court. He's like saying, you go get the ball. And he wasn't going to budge. He wasn't going to talk to me. He wasn't going to do anything. And in that moment, like, I had a decision to make. Am I going to get that tennis ball? Or am I just going to dig my heels in? Like, I didn't, hit, I didn't do anything wrong except win the point and win the game. You know, sue me for being good at tennis. I mean, come on. But this guy, and I, and I had a decision to make. But this kind of situation happens all the time. It's just the tennis ball looks different. You know, it might be a you know, fill in whatever issue that happens in your relationship. It could be a calendar, it could be a decision to go somewhere, it could have to do something with the kids, something that happened in the past. It's the same pattern repeated again and again and again. And in that moment, we have a decision to make about what we do and why we do it. You will face, I guarantee you, just within this week, you will have the opportunity whether to dig your heels and sit down and fume and, and curse the guy out or the, or the lady 
or to go get the tennis ball. Humble yourself and get the tennis ball. Our unity depends on our humility. This is what Paul says. He, he takes a step further, lets us see. He says this, Philippians 2, trying to help us understand where humility comes from and thinking about our relationships as Jesus does. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So, in Jesus, what we see in Jesus is the perfect picture of humility. You want to know what humility is? You want to learn humility? Follow Jesus. Model your life after him. Look at him. Pursue him. Worship him. And you will become like who you worship. See, Jesus didn't deserve to humble himself in this. He didn't deserve to become a servant. Jesus didn't deserve to die on a cross. He didn't need to become a man for his own sake. He did all those things out of love, out of love for people, out of, for us. He didn't deserve any of those things, but because of who he is, uh, like I said in the last verse, he is full of love, he is full of tenderness, and he is full of compassion. It is the very nature of who God is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that's why relationships... Uh, for people, work uh, don't work in this way that God describes unless you are actually full of the presence of God. This is a very supernatural way of relating to one another. And what Jesus offers through the power of the Spirit is a completely new way of doing relationships. It's a relationship that isn't based on the other person's actions to you, or it's not based on human psychology, or it's not based on human wisdom. What it's based on is the actual love that God has for you as a human being and for the human race. Because we love people, not because of what they've done or not done to us, but we love and we humble ourselves in our relationships because that's what Jesus has done for us. And that's the invitation that Jesus gives. That's why Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross to make a, make a right relationship available to each and every one of us out of his love and tenderness and compassion. He didn't, he didn't have to do that. He didn't deserve to be crucified, but he did so anyway. And that invitation that is available to everyone uh, is, is an invitation not only into re right relating with God, but it's an invitation into relating with people full of the power and the love and the tenderness and the compassion and the peace and the joy and everything that Jesus has to offer us. And that's the good news that is offered to us in the gospel, which Paul is explaining here. And that, that offer is open to you today. And perhaps you, you're, you're here and you, you're thinking and you realize, you know what? My relationships are a mess. And I've been doing everything humanly possible in order to make my relationships work and they're simply not working. My encouragement is the invitation that Paul's giving today, that Jesus gives to every person. Invite Jesus into that relationship and watch what he does. He can bring transformation. He can bring restoration. He can bring healing in a way that is humanly impossible, that no two humans or no one human can do by themselves. And that's, when I've, when I've done that, we've seen God work in incredible, incredible ways. You know, you know seeing Jesus in your relationship is going to require some intentionality. 
You can't just, we, can't, we can say that Jesus does these things, but unless we're creating space for Jesus to actually work within our relationships, nothing's going to happen. He is waiting for an invitation. He's poised and available, and we need to be intentional about creating space for him in each of our relationships to bring that restoration. You see, we need to start with a mindset. It starts with a mindset. So it starts with the relationship with God himself, believing in who Jesus is, accepting that, then thinking like Jesus does. And this is how Jesus thinks. He thinks about relationships. He doesn't think of it this way, is that I'm in this relationship for myself and self-interest. No, that's not how he thinks about it. He thinks I'm in this relationship because I love this person and I want the best for their own well-being. And what if, how would it change the way we related to our family, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, if in every single relationship that we are in, we think, how can I posture myself for the well-being and blessing of the other person? Imagine two, what happens when two people do that. That's a God-filled, spirit-filled, loving, unified relationship. That is the beauty of a relationship that God, that flows out of that Trinitarian community that God is himself. We become like who we worship, and our humility is, forms the groundwork for our unity in our relationships with one another. It's, it's, it's actually beautiful. And as we begin to think this way, so it begins with that supernatural power that God fills us. It changes the way we then think about and how we approach every relationship. And then that translates into our action, which as we see Paul here is through sacrificial service, is by serving like Jesus did and sacrificing like Jesus did. And so if you love someone, you want to be unified and you think, how can, I, how can my life be a blessing to this other person? Then what that does is it translates into making personal sacrifices for the good of the other person, serving them, letting the overflow of joy that God gives us flow into their lives. And again, this is why it's impossible to love like Jesus unless you have Jesus in your life. But the restoration of relationships and this kind of human impossibility becomes possible through Jesus himself. And Paul constantly is going back to this phrase and idea in his letters, like in Philippians, living in Christ, in the Lord, in Christ Jesus, in Jesus. Unless we're living in Jesus in an active, dynamic relationship with him, the possibility of living unified in the way God, God's painting the picture through the scriptures is impossible. But God calls us and gives us the gift of the Spirit to, to make that possible. So despite when I got on that, I, I did have a little bit of a semblance of what God had wanted me to. And I remember praying. I sat down on the tennis court there, and I was young. I was like in high school at the time. But I remember praying. I said, God, what do you want me to do? And the invitation was, was pretty clear. It was to humble yourself. So I climbed over the fence. Then I climbed over the second fence. And then up the stairs, got the tennis ball, brought it back down. And I remember that being a decisive moment in my relationship with my friend. And from then on, we continued. And I don't think, I, I, I am pretty clear, I am pretty um, certain. All I can't say for 100% certainty because that hasn't happened. But that could have been a real breaking point in our relationship. And so God's inviting you, each of us today, to go get the ball, to humble yourself. Guess what? Maybe you deserve to get the ball. Did I deserve to? At least not in my mind. Maybe I did something that I wasn't aware of. But sometimes you got to go get the tennis ball. Sometimes you got to humble yourself, even though you don't think you deserve it, you got to go through the extra climbing of fences, the extra 
spending of your time, the wasting of your money, the, the emotional baggage, whatever it is, you got to climb those extra walls. That's, that's what a mindset of humility and a life of humility looks like. It's doing the things that Jesus did. The cross was not a pleasant experience. He didn't, it wasn't for his own pleasure, even though he experienced the joy of God in the moment that he did that. It was for the well-being and the blessing and for the love of the people that he cared for. That's for each and every one of us. Our unity depends on our humility. So as we close, let me consider with you for a second, what would, might that look like? So how can we have a mindset of humility? How can we live in a way that's um, sacrificial and in service to one another? I want to highlight again something that Teresa talked about a couple weeks ago. James 1.19, in your relationships with one another, be slow to speak and quick to listen. One of the very tiny little ways that you can sacrifice for, for another person is simply to sacrifice your need to talk and to get your opinion and your interests at the forefront of the conversation. You can instead posture yourself in such a way that the other person's interests and what they're trying to express are the most important thing for you in that moment. So if you're in a political debate with someone, you know, about John Fetterman or Dr. Oz, and they express something that seems to be a little bit off-putting to you, you could then come back and say, well, this is the right way to do it, or you're wrong because you could posture yourself and say, well, that's interesting. I've never thought of it that way. Could you please explain how this political candidate kind of really meets your interests or helps represent what you think is right. And then what do you do? You listen. That pattern you can translate into any conversation. You can translate that into a conversation about religion or spirituality. I had a friend look at me in shock with his mouth open because I, he thought I was going to like blast him with some like Bible, hit him over the head with the Bible, and all I wanted to do was listen to his perspective on faith and spirituality. It needs to start in humility. Humility is what leads to unity. You can translate that in any way. Another, another thing you could do, so just listen. Be a, don't be the guy or the girl who's always talking over people. Posture yourself humbly as the humble listener in every relationship. And I'll tell you, it makes all the difference. You know, another thing you can do, actually, is you can sacrificially serve somebody. You can go out of your way, and, and it's going to require sacrifice, to spend the extra time or money or energy to you know, get a coffee with someone or buy a cheesesteak or whatever it is, it's the omelet, whatever that thing is that would help extend an offer, an invitation of kindness, even though you're going out of your way and you think they should be initiating, why don't you humble yourself? Why don't we humble ourselves and be the kind of people like Jesus who took the initiative to humble, humble ourselves and make the relationship right? Now, you can imagine a community of people or a family of people where everybody was doing this. That's the good and beautiful community that God had in mind. It's the good and beautiful community that Paul had in mind when he was writing to this young church plant who was under pressure and looking for a way to relate to one another. This is the call that God has for each of us. I want to give an invitation to each of you today, to each of us. Instead of falling into those old patterns and maybe recognize either attack or withdrawal. Maybe you recognize that in your, your personal relationship. You'll, you'll either fall into attack mode or withdrawal mode. Both of those are equally as harmful. Perhaps God wants to call us today into humility mode. That's the call that Jesus has for each of us and the invitation today.
And I want to invite us to just spend some time listening for how the Holy Spirit might want to lead each of us into this place of humility. So I'm going to stop here. What I want to do is I want to give um, some space, just like we talked about. I want to give some space for listening to the Holy Spirit, because we believe, uh, as scriptures clearly teach, that the, the, the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. And so if we're following Jesus, we will hear his voice. I believe God wants to speak to us about an individual relationship that we're having today as we invite him, to hum, as we humble ourselves, ways that we can respond in humility. So let's do that. Let's do that now. So we'll just take a few moments of quiet and we'll continue humbling ourselves in worship. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do the work that, that I can't do or that we can't do in our hearts right now and in our minds that will change the way we think, that you would give each of us a mindset of humility in a very specific instance with a very specific person right now. Holy Spirit, come. Show us the way. I'm gonna, like I said, I'm just gonna bring some silence so that he can speak.